Hello and welcome to 100% Real with Ruby. Today you're going to be listening to part two of my podcast with Tom Bainbridge and we're finishing up our little talk on how cutting yourself short during the week or under eating to then overeat or having sporadic food intake is actually setting you up for not a very great time with getting your health and fitness goals and you're not giving your metabolism the best bang for buck, the best chance it has at actually thriving and being something that supports a higher flux lifestyle where you're able to eat more, to train harder, to perform better, to actually transform. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Overeating or overdrinking on weekends, you are just going to be adding extra fat because your body is not in a state to actually use that effectively. It is going to be storing that mostly as fat. You are anabolic to fat gain because your fat burning processes, your muscle synthesis processes are all diminished because of the highest stress state. Your body's in a higher state of stress. Things aren't working effectively. And like Tom's about to allude to, low energy availability. So... Energy availability, I think, is it's not something that I usually talk about with people who aren't athletes um, because it's kind of as I was just hinting at. It's it's this combination of high energy output and low energy intake is primarily where it comes from. But that's not to say that low energy intake on its own can't cause the problem. So here's how to think of energy availability. Um, your body needs a certain amount of energy day to day to just exist. So what we're talking about there is like regular cellular turnover, uh, the production of hormones, the repair of protein that exists anyway, making your liver work, letting your kidneys do their thing. Like your body just needs energy to do all of that. And we talk about that as your basal metabolic rate. And there are a bunch of calculations you can do online to like estimate it. I just want to quickly add in one type of person because you mentioned the athletes thing. Mm. One thing one thing that I know, Luke, Luke Lehman, my mentor, something he says as well is you're technically not in an energy deficit pretty much ever if you have a lot of stored body fat because the body can use that. So if you do have a lot of stored body fat, you're less likely to be in a low energy state. But the thing is, it's still like you are still in a high stress state. So the same thing still applies. But you're not going to be using those calories effectively because what do you do on the weekends? You don't do anything as effectively as during the week when you're actually in a prime place to use the energy. But a lot more traditional people are finding themselves in this state because they're trying to stay lean or they're trying to like they're the skinny fat type of people where that can still apply. A hundred percent. And um, I'll actually get to that at the end of this <laughs> meandering monologue um, because there's because there's a, there's a good example that I think is important that was actually really surprising to me when I read about it. Um, so yeah, so you've got your, your basal metabolic rate. Your, your body needs enough energy to do whatever it needs to do during the day. Wonderful. Um, you then need additional energy to move about, to do your job, to do what I'm doing now, where like I'm sat with reasonable posture and I'm waving my arms all over the place. I'm not exercising, but I'm expending energy. That's non-exercise activity thermogenesis or NEAT or spontaneous physical activity or spa, depending on what you read. Um, and then you've got the energy that you expend during exercise. Now, what can happen is, well, no, and what we need to remember is, if you're gonna do exercise, that has to take up energy. 
there's no way around that. Um, to do the low, let's say you're going to run a mile, it's going to burn somewhere around 100 calories ish for most people. Now, just because you're under eating, even if you ate nothing, your body would still need to expend that energy to run that mile. It's non-optional. It's non-negotiable. If you do exercise, that energy is being expended. And that means that whatever exercise you do will necessarily take away energy from all of those other things that your body wants to do. And while it might be the case that for survival, it would make more sense to take away energy from exercise and donate it to making your liver work, your body can't do that because you're forcing it to exercise. And so what energy availability as a concept expresses is this idea whereby if you're under eating and doing a lot of exercise, even if you're not losing weight because you're eating enough to maintain your weight, or if you're not losing weight extremely quickly, or you're not starving to death because you've got adequate body fat, it's still possible that you could be sequestering all of the energy that your body wants to use for regular day-to-day -day function and putting it towards exercise. And there are calculations you can do to estimate energy availability. Um, what you do is you work out your lean body mass. So you take your body weight and you subtract your body fat percentage. That's your lean body mass. Then you take the number of calories that you eat on an average day. You subtract from that the number of calories that you expend on exercise on an average day. And then you divide that calorie amount by your lean body mass. And that gives you an amount of energy availability per kilogram of lean body mass. And that the really hard for, that would be really hard for a lot of general people to try to grasp because body fat percentages are far yeah. from accurate. And so are your exercise calories. Yeah, it's very, very difficult to quantify, but that's kind of how it's quantified. And it's usually recommended, and most of this research is done in women, granted, so men might be able to get away with a bit less because we don't have a menstrual cycle to worry about. Um, it's five energy availability points less, so we need to be around 40 and they need to be around 35. Uh, 45. 40, that's the one, 45. Yeah, so... Um, if you fall below that, that runs into problems. But what some research is finding is that you can also look at that on a day-to-day -day basis. So even if you're at that 45 calories per kilo energy availability, if you're stacking that all towards the end of the day and not eating around your exercise, you're spending a lot of your day in an energy availability deficit. And that can lead to issues with the menstrual cycle, issues with hormone production. And so this is kind of a, a long-rooted way of saying <laughs> Intermittent fasting is probably not very good if you exercise a lot. Bear in mind, the person who first popularized um, intermittent fasting, uh, Martin Birkin from Sweden back in like 2005, he advocated for extremely low volume training like three times a week. Like he was not doing this like hybrid training, powerlifting and marathon running and intermittent fasting all at the same time, because that's a really good way to just break yourself. Um, just because exposure to stress is good, that doesn't mean that the more stress you can expose yourself to, the better it's going to be. It's not how that works. But the the example I wanted to give, just to close this one off, because you said something about um, if you've got elevated levels of body fat, you can kind of get away with it. To an extent, that's true. But a case study was like a clinical case study was published a couple of years ago now about a collegiate level swimmer. Um, so in his off season, he was trying to lose body fat because he was a bit overweight for the swim team. Um, and he presented to a clinic with like 
completely lost libido, um, reduced sexual function, etc. And it was found that in the title of the paper, they describe it as extremely low testosterone. So both his free testosterone and his total testosterone were like the level of like an 80-year-old woman. Um, and it was because he was he was eating something like 2,000 calories and expending something like 4,000 calories a day um, just because he was a big dude and he was swimming a lot. Um, but he was something like 17, 18% body fat. So he wasn't extremely lean. Like that is athletic. Like no one would ever look at a person of like 17, 18% body fat as a dude and think they're out of shape. But we're not talking about people who are shredded. We're not talking about people who are getting extremely lean. This is a problem that can present even if you're a healthy body weight. So don't think you're immune to it. I was thinking more around the 30 to 40% body fat when I yeah. said that. But yeah, yeah. Something, something I would also say you need to recognize is that all this shit is systemic stress on the body. Mm. Dieting, calorie deficits, nutrient deficits are all stresses on the body. And if you listen to my podcast with Luke Lehman, the third one where he spoke about micronutrients, the body needs those micronutrients to buffer processes in the body and to mm. be able to create enzymes, to be able to keep the metabolic processes going in themselves. If you're putting all of this stress load on the body, because yeah, you can die really freaking hard, especially if you have a lot of body fat to lose. You can do extreme freaking diets, but you can't go adding in a shitload of marathon running and CrossFit no. workouts and all this bullshit on top of that because you're going to create a catastrophe. So if you're going to do those extreme diets, they need to be under supervision with a nutritionist or with someone who knows what they're doing because the type of exercise you're doing needs to be something that complements your nutrition. Nutrition needs to complement your exercise. Otherwise, you're just digging a really freaking deep hole. Yeah, and and that, that I think is the important thing. A lot of the ice baths and fasting and all of that, people talk about these things as beneficial because of the, essentially, as we spoke about, because of the stress response. If you're exposed to a stress response, you get an increase in noradrenaline and cortisol, you get an increase in dopamine, you get, in, you get improved immunity. All of these things happen as a part of the stress response. And if you never are exposed to stress, therefore, you would benefit from being exposed to stress. But there is a point at which stress no longer becomes adaptive. The whole point of hermesis is to be exposed to a small amount of something and develop a, an immunity to it. Uh, people used to do this with poison. If you take a tiny amount of arsenic over time, you can get better at handling arsenic. And so right, people... you just friggin' drink a whole bottle of scotch. Yeah, I'll just do that. Um, <laughs> but if you have too much it's a bad thing and I, I, that makes so that's such a non-point that's such a boring obvious thing to say but it's the thing that people forget about when they're looking at these morning routines that have like 85 different things but to your point on there you can diet really hard as long as you're doing it sensibly and without exercise and so on i always bring up the um have you heard of angus berbieri no y you might have heard of what he did uh so <laughs> angus berbieri was a man in scotland he went with doctor in the 60s and went, I'm sick of being fat, so I'm just not going to eat anymore. So he was like, a, he had morbid obesity and he didn't eat under medical supervision for like 380 days, lost like 60% of his body weight and then went back to eating and gained like 6% back and just was lean now. <laughs> so that kind of illustrates what the human body can do and it is possible and he experienced like no negative from it. He just kind of drank tea and coffee for over a year and, then, and that was it. And then he didn't have morbid obesity anymore. Um, 
But if he was exercising at the same time, he probably would have experienced a lot of really bad things. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and the big the big issue that I have with a lot of the... I'd refer to it as just, like, biohacky stuff, is, which is ice baths. It's specific breath work. It's intermittent fasting. It's delaying your coffee intake. It's doing all of these things. Is that, like... Going back to the D&D thing, it's the assumption that all of these things are stackable. It's the assumption that something is good, so more of that thing is better. And this is a very American way of looking at things. And it's no, I don't think it's any coincidence that a lot of the people who talk about these things come from the US. Um, And there are other reasons for that that we can get into if you want, depending on how far like into the political, ideological side of things you want to get. Um, I know nothing about the American politics. It's not American politics per se, it's the American mindset towards these kind of things, which it, it leeches from the way that they do things. Um, but I would just say it's social media bullshit, because to the point you're going to say as well, how, lo- how, like, how long is it before your ideal of optimising your morning is not going to become this two-hour ordeal that just adds more stress to your friggin' plate? Yeah, like... Oh, look at my morning routine. And this is the thing. It's like, oh, I look at that person's morning routine and they they get up, they do some breath work and then they have a coffee and then they go outside and do grounding, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Like, yeah, walking barefoot in grass is nice. You don't have to justify that with some sort of Mother Earth weirdness. Um, and it's like, okay, that person does that. Oh, well, this person, they also have an ice bath and they also go and exercise, so I'll do that as well. And it's like, oh, well, this person also does some journaling, so I'll do that as well. And before you know it, yeah, your morning routine is two hours long and most of it's pointless. Like if you enjoy walking barefoot while you drink your coffee, you should probably do that in the morning. That sounds like a nice morning. But you don't then have to add in all of this other shit that other people are doing for no reason at all. Find what your weak link is and make that your morning routine. Like for me, I need to take action on my work straight Mm. away. For me, that is my stress reliever. But then, because of the way that I've structured things, I have all of that shit in the first half of the day so that I can start training at 10 a.m. and then do my stress relief then, have the rest of the day to myself and studying and things that other people would probably do to start the day. Like, figure out what works for you, whereas I have people that need to have five minutes to themselves in the morning because the rest of the day, they're chaotic. So figure out what works for you and don't try to make this, like, the best morning routine is not something that's going to take you forever. It's it's that minimum effective dose. What's the most you can get out of the least? That is, that should, leading on to the next thing I really, really want to freaking talk about because I just want to clip this out and make it like this big statement because it does my head in. The goal yep. is to always get the most out of the least. And just because you don't give 100%, does not mean you don't get anything out of it. But, like, people think that the more they do, the better. Or, but if I can just do this extra thing, I'll get extra gains. But it's like, you're living life. It's not meant to be friggin', like, that is why people lose steam. That is why people struggle with motivation, struggle with discipline. It's not discipline that's the issue. It's the fact that your approach is something that's completely freaking stupid, that you can't get the discipline to do the damn thing. Or you can't get the willpower. And of course you're going to keep having freaking consistency issues if the plan is stupid to start with. Well, I know what I should be doing, but I'm not doing it. Well, then what you think you should be doing, 
isn't what you think you should be doing. Otherwise, you'd be doing it already. Break shit down, make things more simple, and be okay with starting at the smallest. Oh, but if I don't give 100%, what's the point? Let's apply it to that. And then let's apply it to working out because people, like, you can have shit training days. You'll have shit training weeks. Sometimes you might not be able to give it your best. Sometimes you might have an injury or you might be feeling sick and you have to go at 50% capacity. Oh, but should I be eating all of these calories if I'm not training as hard? Am I still going to get any muscle growth from this? Let's clear up the 100%. You don't get anything out of that working out. But then also factor that into lifestyle. For once, it wasn't my dog. For once, it wasn't mine. <laughs> Whenever the garage door goes up, that one goes off. But so what you've just talked about there, I think is really important. Um, when you were saying people want to give 100% or they feel like it's it's pointless, I don't believe you. Not you. I don't believe the person that says that. Like, if you come to me and you say, oh, I don't think there's any point in only training twice a week because if I train four times a week, that's better and twice a week's pointless. I don't believe you think that. I think you know that if you train twice a week, you'd be better off what you're doing is you're creating a barrier so that you don't have to. So when I was at college, when I was like 18, um, we we did a lesson on uh, sports psychology with my tutor, Phil. Big shout out to Phil Miller. Um, this stuck with me for like 15 years. Um, he took us into the sports hall and there was a, a basketball hoop and there was like three hula hoops on the floor at different distances away. And it was like, uh, if you shoot from that hoop, you get five points. That hoop, you get two points. That point, that hoop, which is right next to the, the hoop itself, uh, you get one point. And you have three balls, and whoever gets the highest score wins or whatever. Um, so we all did that. And uh, the principle is, the first hula hoop closest to the hoop, it was an easy shot. Anybody with reasonable eye-hand coordination can score at least two baskets out of three from right next to the hoop. The second hoop was like, doable and you get more points for it and the third hoop was bastard miles away you were never going to hit that unless you do basketball all the time you ain't never scoring from there um and afterwards what he explained was that there are two kind of ways that people conceptually can look at motivation you can look at a desire to succeed and you can look at a desire to avoid failure and what you would think is that the people with a desire to succeed would shoot from the middle hoop because that gives you like the the moderate chance of scoring for a good amount of points and the people who are terrified of failure would shoot from the closest hoop so that they never miss but that's not really true people who are terrified of failure will also shoot from the furthest away hoop because they don't have the expectation of success you can only fail at something if you thought you might succeed in the first place if you never think you're going to succeed if success isn't an option that's on the table then failure isn't on the option on the table either and what I see when I talk, when I look at people who tell me that without 100% effort, it's not worth it, is a person who knows they will never be able to give 100% effort, so they don't ever have to try. Um, it's it's just it's it's a self it it's a way of saying I don't want to try without having to admit to yourself that you don't want to try, and. So yeah, I just fundamentally do not believe people when they tell me that they think they need to give 100% or it's just not worth it. I think at that time, at that point, we need to talk a little bit more about why you don't want to give yourself the opportunity to fail and what's what's holding you back from that. Because if we can solve that, then all of a sudden 
you realize, oh, actually training twice a week is probably, probably a good idea. You know what I mean? It's almost that same mentality where if I don't do a full session, what's the freaking point? But it's just yeah. like, I don't know if I, if I actually think about this one, because I think it's something that will resonate with a lot of people. When I went into powerlifting, it was the idea of I want to stop focusing on being my leaner self, at least this way I can focus on getting stronger. But then it got to a point where everything was about numbers. And I spoke about this before where I would message my coach and say, why am I so weak? I'm so pathetic. What's wrong with me? Why can't I get this lift up? Oh, my God. I'm I'm like, I'm shit. I failed the lift that I was programmed. Like, it became all about chasing numbers to the point where mm. I was getting the same fulfillment out of it. And it took a while for me to detach. Like, it is very easy to attach yourself so much to numbers that you lose the real reason you're doing something to the point where it's not actually exciting you anymore. Like, you're not doing it to actually just improve overall, it's becoming this numbers game to the point where, okay, you're chasing numbers, but everything else is getting sacrificed in that. It's not just about the numbers themselves, but how you lift them. And just like losing weight, things aren't done linearly. And in saying what I was just saying, it's it's almost like you attach your worth to a certain outcome that you get versus the effort that goes in without realizing that there are so many things that go into what impacts a training session. Like for me now, I could have a really shit session in that to me is I do not feel my glutes enough this session. That sucks. Or I'm doing an exercise and it's just like, I only feel like I worked one side of my glute because the other glute didn't do its thing. Like there, there are so many ways that you can get down on yourself for a session of going the way you expected that you feel like, uh, that shit, I'm in a shit mood now because my gym session was crap, blah, blah, blah. I didn't get anything out of work. Like, no one, it's almost like we have this time perception, time warp thing. And this is a really great way to sum up a lot of what we're talking about because this time warp is almost like you need to get everything done now or this one session is going to make or break you. This one meal is going to make or break you. We need to optimize everything to the oblivion. It's just like, you're a freaking human. You're living a life. You have like things, like you're meant to be living your life. Things that you put inside your life are meant to enhance it. There is no point living to freaking 100 whatever. And I just picked a random number. If it's going to be a shit quality life from year 70 onwards. So what's going to improve that? Building more muscle mass, getting stronger and being healthy on the inside. So you're not on a hundred pills in and out of the doctor's office. Do things that help that. What are you going to regret in your 80 plus? Not having good relationships, not having things that make you happy, not having people that look up to you because you made them and their world a better place. Like there are all these little things that all come together to lead to, like, it's just like, if you focus on strength, the body is going to be the outcome of that. Actually, I, I had a little rant with Nick yesterday. I actually want this to be something that kind of sums it up. I really did want you to talk about why MPS isn't all you need to build muscle. So if you want, you can mm. touch on that to actually yeah, touch on that. But I had this rant because there are so many people with my girls, I get rid of the scale, but it's like, if you're not focusing on the scale, what are you focusing on? Pants, clothes. But if you're like this skinny fat person or someone who's just lost a lot of weight and then you bought tiny clothes for that end product, that end product. But now you're trying to build muscle and you're feeling your clothes tight. 
So now you're conflicted and you're not putting in the effort you need to put in to build the body you know you want because, oh, my God, my pants are tight. I need to fit in these two days pants for summer or whatever it is. That in its, that's sabotaging you from ever getting to that end goal. So I, I want you to talk about that to kind of sum this up because I feel like that's a really important point. Yeah, it's a, that's a difficult issue um, to attack from one angle. So on the, on the point you were saying about the, the short-term thing, um, yeah, you're not going to be sat there in 2026 thinking, you know what, if I'd done better on my deadlift in April 2023, I'd be way stronger now. Like, that's not how that's going to work at all. Um, the purpose of each training session is to create an adaptation that will allow you to do something else in the next training session. And even that's probably thinking too short term. Each training month or each training block of 12 weeks leads into the following training block of 12 weeks. And as long as you do something over that 12 weeks that improves you in the next one, whether that is get stronger or build muscle, whether that is reduce body fat and not lose those things, or whether that's just improve technique, it means that you're going to be better off down the line. One of the things that I do with a lot of my athletes is we spend ages drilling in on basic shit, strong feet at the in a back squat. Like strong feet in a back squat is so important. Without strong feet, your ankles collapse. Ankles collapse, knees collapse. Knees collapse, hips are no good. Hips are no good, you're going to miss the squat. Um, we focus a lot on adequately drawing tension out of the bar in a deadlift. So there's all the drills we do for that. And it feels like you're kind of wanking around for like six weeks, just not lifting heavier weights. But over time, week to week, your technique gets better and better and better and better. And then once you start loading up again, you're way stronger. Now, if you think short term and think every session, I need to build muscle. Every session, I need to be stronger. Every single session, I need to wake up the next day and I'm sore and I felt like I've put in a really good effort. The problem is that that prevents you from doing the less taxing stuff that will make a bigger difference long term. Um, and if you're getting down on yourself for bad sessions, you're always gonna you're always gonna struggle if you're getting yourself bad on bad sessions because bad sessions are gonna happen. So one coach that I really look up to. So like there are a few people that I really look up to in this industry. Um, one of them is Gab Fondaro that you spoke to on the last podcast. I think she's absolutely phenomenal. Um, another one is Coach Dan John from the US. I should remember where, but he teaches like football somewhere like he's a football coach but the way he speaks about coaching and exercise you can tell that he's been talking about exercise to teenagers for like 80 years like the man is an absolute wizard um but he talks about the rule of five um and i forget what the actual quote is so i just kind of adapted it but it bas basically what he talks about is across your training career out of every five sessions one of them is going to suck one of them is going to be incredible you feel like you could just put anything on the bar and you can lift it Three of them, you're going to kind of go in, you're going to punch your card and you're going to go home and feel like nothing of, of any particular worth has been achieved, but you've hit your numbers. And as long as you can maintain that average for like 10 years, you'll get really strong. And that is the way I encourage my clients to think about training because bad sessions will happen, sometimes for reasons you can predict. Didn't sleep very well last night, didn't eat very much yesterday. Sometimes it just happens and you just have a shit session and it's fine. Um, you can use that shit session to work on other things. So, right, okay, I'm supposed to hit these numbers on deadlift today. I ain't got that in the tank today. But what I can do is I can focus on pulling the slack more. I can focus on controlling the negatives. I can, whatever. I love and all of that. I, I really that, 
keep talking about this very thing because people are scared to take that step back to really focus on the foundations that are going to lead to a stronger thing built on top. And the problem is it hurts your ego. And I know it hurts your ego because like, so something I, I've always struggled with back squatting. Um, it's my favorite exercise, um, but I've always struggled. I'm not built to squat. My femurs are too long for my torso. I have to use a shitload of forward lean in a squat and it's not, <laughs> it is it's not that comfortable. Like deadlifting something I've always picked up really easily. Like at my strongest a few years ago before bunch of stuff happened that prevented me from training for a while um at my strongest i hit a 275 kilo deadlift and my squat was in like the 190 range like that ratio was horrendous um and the reason was just because i needed to improve hip strength ankle strength timing and bracing and to work on those things i couldn't lift heavy weights i had to lift moderate weights it had to be fairly easy squatting. And then I got my training stimulus from doing belt squats and leg press and all that. And you can do all that kind of stuff. And it feels like I think the two barriers that people have for stripping weight off is simply ego. If you have attached some degree of identity to the amount of weight that you can lift in the gym, being seen by other people in the gym to lift light weights hurts. And I experienced that. And I work with an incredible powerlifter at the moment who is recently retired from like international competition. And she really had a lot of issues with that. A lot of her identity was attached to, I am one of the strong people in the gym. People notice that I lift a lot of weight. I really like that. Now, if, I've got, if I'm gonna go in the gym talking about me now, like if people are used to me going in and I'll squat 60 for a couple of reps, 100 for a couple of reps, 140 for a couple of reps, and then start working in the 160 to 180 range. If I'm now gonna be seen going to the gym and squatting 70 kilos, now I'm just like everybody else. There's nothing special here anymore. My identity's gone, but you have to take that hit. You have to. This is why it's really important to listen to what I said before about life and what what is it you're doing this for and you and i are so freaking similar it's insane like everything you just said the squat the deadlift there was a point like it's so i find it really ridiculously funny that for me to warm up for squats now i'm putting green plates on and then yellow plates or just putting yellow plates on whereas before literally the very first warm-up i ever did for squats was putting on the blue plates squatting mm -hmm. 60 was my warm-up and then I'd go to 70 and then 80 and then I'd start squatting from 90. And the same with the deadlift. I'd go from 60 straight to 100, straight to 120. And then I'd start from there. Whereas now it's just like 120. It's like my freaking working set if I even get to 120. But if you're letting your identity be like, but if you compare me now to me when I was doing those weights here, yeah, I was way more jacked back then. But my body composition is so much better now. My life is so much better now. My health is so much better now. Like every, like you are not just the result of your training numbers. So much happens outside of just A to B of training. Like everything that you do has a particular component. That please, please, please. If you enjoyed this episode, please go onto your Spotify, onto your iTunes and give it a five-star rating. You don't have to leave a review, but it will also make me really happy to just read through those but it just leaving a five-star review is more than enough so with that reach out to either of us if you have any questions if you enjoyed this episode share it to your stories share it to a friend 
whatever. Just help me spread the great, great news because something I absolutely hate when I listen to podcasts is freaking ads interrupting it all the time. And that's something you'll never listen to on this one. And you won't hear any promoting on this as well because all I want to do is bring you good information. With that, I hope you enjoyed it and I will hear you on the next part.